Good morning, everyone. Well, I'm glad to be here this morning. I'm glad to be here with my family. Uh, I've been away from my family for three weeks in January, beginning of February, in Poland and in Portugal, and uh, got stranded in Madrid for an overnight, and so I only had two days home before we started our drive down here. Uh, So I'm glad that the family can be with me. And uh, I'm glad also to be with you to open God's Word. We're going to begin this morning by turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to read the first seven verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Looks like next Sunday you're going to have a good meeting uh, with our brother who is going to be speaking, I heard, on 2 Corinthians. This is really a wonderful book. Uh, one that uh, we are studying currently, um, uh, my uh, children are studying, and, and myself as well. And uh, there's just some wonderful things found in this particular letter. We're going to read about one of them in chapter 4, the first seven verses. So let's read beginning from verse 1. Paul, of course, is writing, and this is what he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. I wish we could read further. This is a wonderful chapter, uh, but we're going to stop the reading there, and I want to draw your attention to verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God, and not of us. I want to speak about that treasure in verse 7. But before I speak about that treasure, I want to speak about other treasure Treasure that has come to us from God and treasure that we can enjoy today. I hope you are here today as a believer. I hope you're here as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are and you're a child of God, then God has given you wonderful, wonderful treasure. And I hope that you're enjoying that treasure that has come from God. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about something far, far better than any money that you could ever have, far, far better than any of the riches that this world could ever give. These are treasures that God has given to you and to me, and uh, I want to speak about them today. Now, this list is not going to be exhaustive, but I have seven treasures that I uh, have here and I want to talk about. The last one is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 7. But the first one I want to talk about is one you should be familiar with, and it is the treasure of the gospel. And I hope you consider it a treasure because 
Uh, sometimes we get so familiar with the gospel that we forget what a treasure it really is. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. And that includes us. The gospel has power, power to save people from their sins. Where would you be today without the treasure of the gospel? What would your life be like if you had not found, discovered this treasure, if God had not given it to you? What would your life be like? It is indeed a very rich treasure. Now, most of us can spit out the basics of the gospel. We know that uh, mankind, for example, we are sinful. We know that sin separates us from God. We know that we cannot save ourselves. We know that God has provided a Savior. We know that he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to be that Savior. We know that he died on the cross and shed his blood so that he could secure our salvation. We know that if we repent of our sins and if we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be saved from our sins and forgiven of our sins. We can become a child of God and we can go to heaven. That's a wonderful thing. But that's just the shell. That's just the basics of this treasure. We could get underneath the surface of it and really, really start to see how powerful, how wealthy, how wonderful this treasure is. Because it is a treasure from God, a treasure that we cannot imagine the wonder of it all. And so we we hear about it all the time, and yet we often don't think of it as a great, great treasure. What are some of the things that happen uh, in salvation? I've already mentioned the shell, the basics as I call it. And I want to say it that way because we really do need to get under the surface. If there is someone who doesn't know Christ as as their Savior, uh, we often will use that shell that I just mentioned and give them the basics in hopes that they will trust Christ as their Savior. I remember being on the streets of Poland where uh, uh, a ministry was preaching the gospel and uh, it was attracting a crowd and there was one young lady who was very interested in what we had to say and so someone explained the basics of the gospel to this lady and right there and then on the streets of Poland this lady bowed her head asked for forgiveness of sin repented of her sins and asked Jesus Christ to be her savior wonderful isn't it? And as time went on and as someone was writing to this young lady, uh, um, uh, uh, this uh, this, uh, person that was writing to her started to talk in terms of how wonderful it is to be rescued from the deception of the Catholic Church and rescued from um, uh, false religious systems and things like this. And the lady responded in a very angry way. She responded by saying that she hadn't left the Catholic Church. All she did basically was recommit herself to what she had always believed. And whether she understood what the gospel really is or not is something that I can't answer today. 
it is quite possible that what we have in our mind as we are communicating the gospel is not what is in the mind of someone else as they hear the gospel presentation. And so when we reduce the gospel down to a shell, a formula, a three-step thing or a five-step plan or something like that, while it is the shell, it may not be communicating what we are hoping it is communicating. Paul tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And one thing we should never, ever stop doing is preaching and presenting the gospel to people. I was in Poland this past time, and I was staying with a dear friend of mine, and we were discussing um, the um, an, another person, a person who came from the Ukraine, and there was a young lady who came from the Ukraine to Poland uh, to study uh, English and business. And when she was in Poland, she came to our Bible study while we were living there. And um, she enjoyed um, uh, learning more about God's word. She came from a Baptist church in the Ukraine. Uh, she knew the basics of the gospel. She believed the basics of the gospel. We all kind of understood that she was a sister in, in Christ and things of that nature. But on this past trip to Poland, my friend told me that she said it wasn't until she met us in Poland that she understood what it meant to be born again. You see, it's quite possible to come to church all your life. It's quite quite possible to hear the gospel message and yet still be blinded to what it really is until the Holy Spirit opens your eyes so that you see the deep conviction that we have being convicted of our sins and you see the light of the glorious gospel, the treasure rich and rare, until you see it, we remain in darkness. You might be able to tell other people the gospel message and yet still be in darkness yourself. And so I want us to think for just a few moments about this treasure of the gospel. What are some of the things that happen uh, in salvation? Uh, The writer to Hebrews in chapter 2, verse 3, calls it a great salvation. And I hope you think it's a great salvation. Can't think of much else that would be greater than knowing this wonderful, wonderful treasure. Paul tells us that it is a treasure in which we are justified by faith. And so we read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so salvation gives us justification. We have a reason why we can go to heaven. And that reason isn't because we're good. And that reason isn't because we've gone to church. And that reason isn't because we've read the Bible. And that reason isn't because we were baptized. And that reason isn't because we've been confirmed or a member of a church or anything like that. It's not because we have achieved a level of excellence in our life. And therefore God could perhaps look upon us and say, not a bad person, you can go to heaven. None of those things can get us into heaven. Nothing that I can do. Absolutely nothing. And you know, this is something which I think all of us fall into a trap. At some point in our lives, we come to think that maybe it was, maybe there's a reason why God would justify my life. Maybe there's a reason why I deserve to go to heaven. It's wonderful to be a child of God. It's wonderful to have the security of knowing that you're loved by God and you're his child. 
But none of us deserve anything but his wrath and his anger and his judgment. We sang a song this morning about pouring contempt on all our pride. And more and more as I grow older, I realize how horrible pride is. And it's in all of us. We like to mask it. We like to hide it. We like to look humble. But pride is something that's in all of us. And there are times in my life and perhaps in your life too when you get this idea that I deserve to go to heaven. You and I do not deserve that at all. We have rebelled against the holy God. We deserve nothing but his anger, his wrath, and his judgment. And yet Paul speaks about justification. There's a reason why I can go to heaven, and that reason is Jesus Christ. He's the only reason why I can go to heaven. And that's why I cried out to him for salvation. And I asked him not just to forgive me for my sin. And I like to point this out. A lot of people want forgiveness of sin. We need it. But that's all they want. Wouldn't it be nice if we could live our life any way we want? And when we come to the end of life, we find that God is a God of love and all he does is simply forgive. Wouldn't that be nice? I would think it's nice. But that's not salvation. That's not the gospel. The gospel is more than just forgiveness of sins. It's being saved from our sins. Do you want that? Do you want God to change you? Do you want God to make you holy, make you righteous, change your desires? Do you want salvation from sin? Because there's a lot of people who just want forgiveness. They want to live their lives any way they want. They want to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And hope that God in his mercy will simply forgive. God is a God who justifies the sinner. And when we cry out to him for salvation, we cry, save me from my sins. That's what I need. That's what you need. There will be no sin in heaven. And since I am saturated with sin, how could I ever, ever reach heaven's shores? It seems like an impossibility Unless God has the power to not just forgive, but to rescue me and save me from this dire state that I am in. So that I will not be saturated with sin, but saturated with righteousness and holiness and prepared to be in a home called heaven. Jesus Christ is the justifier and he justifies us from all our sin. It's wonderful to know him as the justifier. And he's also a redeemer. We read that we have not been redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Bought with a price. You and I, if you know Christ as your Savior, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to Jesus Christ. We were once a slave to sin. And now we are a slave to to Jesus Christ. There is no other option. You say, I don't want to be a slave to anyone, but you don't have any other option. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to Christ. 
And those of us who know Christ as our Savior, we know and understand that it is far better to be a slave to Christ. He is a kind master. He is not harsh. He is one who loves us and cares for us and guiding us and shepherding us. He's a high priest. He's so much to you and to me. It is wonderful to know him and to belong to him. But if he has redeemed us, then your life doesn't belong to you anymore. My life doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to him. And it's for him to decide what he wants to do with my life and with your life. We are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? We once were a slave to sin, but now we have been freed and we are now belonging to Jesus Christ. Another thing that happens in salvation is that we have a mediator between God and man. You ever think about where you would be if there was no mediator between God and man? If you were to stand before a holy God and stand by yourself and represent yourself before God and God were to say, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Many of us would not want to stand alone. The Bible tells us that there's a mediator, a wonderful mediator between God and man, someone who God the Father loves. He said at the, at the baptism of the Lord Jesus, He said, this is my son. I find my joy in him. On the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my son. You listen to him. God finds all his joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. What about you? Do you find your joy in Christ? Isn't it wonderful to have a mediator who God loves and you love too? Representing you. But if you don't know Christ as your savior... He is a mediator, but he's not your mediator. He doesn't stand between God and man for you. But in the gospel message, the wonderful message is you have someone who you could trust. It is not a priest. It is not a pastor. It is not a parent. It is not uh, anything like that. It's not the mother of the Lord Jesus. It's Jesus Christ himself. He is the perfect mediator between God and man. And he also is... Um, a uh, person who reconciles us back to God. You know, there's so many things to talk about in salvation. We just don't have the time. But it is a great, great treasure. He not only saves us, but he reconciles us back to God. And so you and I can have fellowship with him. Would be a great salvation, I suppose, if God saved us, brought us to heaven, and said in this vast, big place called heaven that God would be on one side and you could live on the other side. But for all eternity, God didn't want to talk to you, didn't want to see you, didn't want anything to do with you. I suppose I would still say it's a wonderful thing to be saved. But in salvation, God does even more. He reconciles us back to himself. And so we can have fellowship And enjoy him, talk to him, listen to him, and enjoy life as life was meant to be. The gospel is a great treasure, and we should value it more and more. Well, another treasure is found in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even in the division of soul and spirit 
and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so here we read that the word of God is powerful. It is a treasure, a treasure given to us by God. I could once again ask, where would you and I be without this treasure? If we didn't hold it in our hands, if we didn't have it on the computer, if we didn't have it on our audio, if we couldn't listen to it, couldn't read it, couldn't have it, couldn't enjoy it, couldn't know it, we, it's a dark book to us, we knew nothing about it, where would you and I stand today? It is a treasure from God. And yet the most unbelievable thing is that in our generation... Most Christians, it is no secret that most Christians are biblically illiterate. People don't read the Word of God. Christians don't read the Word of God. We don't spend time in God's Word. We use all kinds of excuses, but you know those excuses are derived from Satan himself who's doing anything and everything he can to get us out of the word of God because he knows that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and it can change your life and my life. Of all the lessons that I have learned in my life, in my ministry in Poland and in other places, this is the greatest lesson. It is the power of the word of God to change lives. I met a man, can't remember if it was in Poland or Portugal, but I met a man on this particular trip, and I asked him how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. He told me it was in Portugal. He told me he was an atheist. He grew up in a home where it was an unreligious home. And one day he found the Bible and started reading the Bible and the word of God opened his eyes and he realized he was a sinner in need of a savior and he put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ simply by reading the word of God. It's the only book that I know that if you put it in your hands and you offer it to somebody else, they may react by, by going back and saying, I don't even want to touch that book. What's wrong? You just believe it's a book. It's a book that has influenced this world. Wouldn't it be wise to know what it says so that you can understand the peoples of this world? I don't want to touch it. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid it's going to change my life. The word of God has changed my life. Has it changed yours? We're here today to listen to the word of God, to hear what God has to say to us today. And one thing that he says to us today is that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it can change your life, touch your heart, and do what no one else could do. It soothes the, the soul, brings comfort to us in time of need. It illuminates our minds so that we know that there's a God who cares and loves us and has provided a way of escape from the prisons of hell and from the prisons of sin. He's provided a way of salvation. He's done so much more when we are grieving because of a loss of a loved one, when, we are, when, when life is dark and we do not understand what God is doing, we do not know the way. We learn in God's word that he's not just a savior, he's a high priest. 
He sympathizes with your, uh, yours and my sorrows and, and weaknesses. He cares and he understands. And he's there to do the ministry of a high priest and bring us back to health and fellowship with the living God. And when we don't know the way forward, we don't know who to marry, we don't know where to live, we don't know what God wants us to do, we don't know what job to take, we don't know where to turn, we read from God's word that he is a shepherd and he's guiding his sheep. He sees and understands everything that's happening in my life and your life. He cares. And yet we turn our ear away from him. We don't spend time in his word. We don't listen to him. My wife, I think she's back there. My wife is a wonderful lady. I hope you get to know her a little bit. She really is a wonderful lady. I don't like going overseas without her. And yet I must do that. I don't like being away from her. And yet I must do that. Life gets busy, you know, especially when you have six children, two with autism. Life can get pretty hectic and pretty busy. And yet on top of that, homeschooling, my wife is also very busy. What if I said to my wife, wife, you have five minutes of my day. And that's it. I have a lot to do. Got to go to work. When I get home... I have to live in these paper American houses. There's always something to fix, always something to do. I have six children. I need to spend time with each of them. How much time can I give to my wife? Five minutes a day? Sounds pretty reasonable. Beyond that, I'll do the dishes from time to time as much as I can and do the laundry and and clean up as much as I can to kind of help you out. That's what marriage is all about. Agree? Oh, I'm glad to see that some are shaking their heads. Some weren't shaking at all. Uh, Well, you know, sometimes we treat God in this particular way, don't we? We say to God, you have five minutes of my time. I have to go to work. I have to be busy with the family. I have to take care of things. There's just so much to do. And there always will be so much to do because Satan does that to you and to me to get us away from God so that we're not listening to Him. He gets us away from God's Word. But it's a treasure. And about 500 years ago, there were men and women who laid down their lives and suffered so that you and I could have a Bible in our own language to read and to enjoy today. What would they be thinking if they knew how we treated the Scripture? There are places in the world today where they, where they consider one page of scriptures to be a great, precious treasure. You and I have it in front of us this morning and every day. And we ought to read and enjoy that treasure. We must go on. A third treasure is found in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24 where we read, But to those who are called both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so the third treasure that we have is Jesus Christ himself. You know, the Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave 
his only begotten son. The greatest treasure that God could leave to you and me was his son. There was no greater treasure. No greater treasure on earth, no greater treasure in this universe, no greater treasure in heaven. God so loved us, he gave us the very best that he had. He gave us the Lord Jesus. Are you enjoying him? You know, there's something about Christianity which we often miss because of the busyness of life. We know we need to serve him. We know we need to praise him. We know we need to be doing Christian things, let's call it that way. We know we need to be growing. We know what to do. We are very good at being Martha. We're not very good at being Mary. We serve him, but we don't spend time with him. And when we have an opportunity to spend time with him, we really don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to act. We come to break bread each each Lord's Day morning. We come into the Lord's presence and we repeat over and over again the same thing. I suppose that's okay if you're a child. But we're to grow. And as we grow, we are to learn things more. Well, I just got back from Europe. And my little daughter, seven-year-old daughter, was already talking about her date. She gets a date from daddy. When she was younger, and I guess right now as well, a date consists of going to the flower shop where I buy her some flowers. And then we go to the ice cream shop and we buy some ice cream. And then possibly we go to the toy store Possibly, and we get a toy. And if you were to ask my little girl why she loves me, I don't know what she would say right now. But I would expect that as a little girl, she would say, my dad gives me flowers, my dad gives me ice cream, my dad gives me a toy, and that's why I love him. And that makes sense. It really does. But as she grows up, I hope she has something more to say. I hope she enjoys being with dad because she just enjoys listening to dad and talking to dad and and pouring out her heart to dad and having dad pour his heart out to her. I hope she enjoys my character. I hope she enjoys my personality. I hope she enjoys me just for who I am. We come into the Lord's presence. And the Lord says, why do you love me? And we say, because you gave me salvation. Because you gave me eternal life. Because you gave me a place in heaven. Because you gave me peace with God. Because you gave me, 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 all the things that you've given to me. And God puts a smile on his face and is so happy that we love him for the things that he has given to us. But as we grow, the hope is that we'll learn to love him for who he is, for his character, for his beauty, for his holiness, not just how he's changing me, 
but simply because we want this kind of character because we see it in him and we love him for it. You know, a lot of people don't want Jesus Christ because they have no desire to be holy. And if we're honest with ourselves, we too don't have a desire to be holy. It is only when we've cried out to God for salvation and asked Him to save us from our sins that the Holy Spirit comes inside, that a regeneration takes place, and so that a transformation happens. We become no longer a child of Adam, but now a child of God. And now God can do what no one else could have done. He can change my sinful desires and make them holy desires. That's what he does. That's why he's such a treasure. A wonderful, wonderful treasure. He has power to heal. He doesn't always choose to heal. But he has the power to heal. He has the power to forgive sin. He has the power to give life. He has the power to raise the believer up one day from the dead. He has the power to do these things and more. And right now he is exalted on the highest throne of power and he is there on the believer's half. He has a beautiful character. Colossians 1.15 says, says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And so when we look at him, we are looking at the character and the personality of God. We know who God is like because we see him in the face of Jesus Christ. He has a wonderful work. In Acts 4 and verse 12, we read, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. His work is a work of salvation, a work of reconciliation, He was able to perform that work because of his sinless character. He received sinners and he offered himself up to be the savior of those sinners. His position today, he is a shepherd. He guides your life. He guides my life every step of the way. He wants to be that for you and for me. That's his work today. He is a shepherd guiding your life. Why don't we listen to him? How can he guide my life if I'm not listening to him? How can I claim to be a follower of Christ if I'm not listening to him? He says, come, follow me. No, Lord, I want to follow you, but uh, I don't want to listen to you. It doesn't make any sense. We are not very good followers. Thankfully, he holds our hand. And no one is able to pluck us out of his hand. And he guides us and disciplines us when we need to be disciplined. But he is a shepherd for us today. And as I mentioned already, he is a great high priest, a mediator, securing salvation. And he is, get this now, he's praying for you. He prays for his own. We read about his intercessory work three times in the scriptures. We read about it in Isaiah and in Romans and in Hebrews. And we get an example of it in the life of Peter. 
When the cock crows three times, you will deny me three times. And then the Lord Jesus says to Peter, but I've prayed for you. Oh, thank you, Lord. You know, the Lord's prayers get answered. So since you're praying for me, thank you, by the way, I need a new car. I'd like another house. I would like better health. I would like this. I would like that. Could you could you lift those things up also while you pray for me? Oh, no, the Lord, we can't demand from the Lord what the Lord is praying for, but I'll tell you what he is doing. He says to Peter, I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Your testimony may fail. There's lots of things in our lives where we are failures. We wander. We're prone to wander. But he's praying that your faith would not fail. And it will not fail. Because you have a great high priest uplifting your name and uplifting you before his throne, before God's throne. We have a high priest and he is today Lord of all. That means he's your Lord and he's my Lord. You either bow to him in submission to him right now. You give up the rebellion of sin, trying to steer your life the way you want it to go. You stop trying to take control and you surrender completely to him. You bow the knee. And say, yes, he is Lord. It's an act of surrendering. Surrendering your will. Stopping the rebellion. Not everyone's willing to do that. But the Bible tells us that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, one day the rebellion is going to be completely put down. Those that are fighting in rebellion against God are going to realize they've been defeated and they're going to bow the knee to the sovereign Lord and they're going to admit that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is who the Lord Jesus is and much more. God so loved the world that he gave this one to you and to me. Are you enjoying him as a treasure? Now, you know, I have spoken this message through translation and I've gotten through the message. I'm not getting through it this morning. I'm going to have to continue this on Wednesday night in the will of the Lord. But I do want to lay before you the end of where I'm going on this to whet your appetite if you're able to come on Wednesday evening. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. These three things that I've mentioned, and the other four, th- three things that I will mention on Wednesday evening in the will of the Lord, they are treasures. And where does God put that treasure? In you and in me. He's given us a ministry. You have a ministry for the Lord. Man and woman, child, grandfather, no matter what the age is, no matter who you are, God has given you a ministry. And he's placed a treasure in an earthen vessel, a weak vessel. I would not have done it. If I were God, 
I would never have done it. You know, this trip to, to Poland and Portugal, there were, there were a lot of difficulties that I've had. I lost my passport. I never lose my passport. I lost it in Poland. And uh, it was found at a police station in a city that I was just passing through. I don't know how it got there. I'm glad I found it. And when I was waiting for it, I looked in my wallet to get my identification. That's my driver's license, and it wasn't there. I never lose things. I know I'm getting older. I know I've lost my hair. But really, I never lose things. When I was in Portugal, we had more troubles. We were driving in a car which has about 400,000 miles on it. And uh, it fogs up and all kinds of things with it. You put on the, uh, the little air thing and you just smell, you smell something burning. And, but we needed to have it on to, to, to travel. And so we were traveling through all this stuff and things like that. And then the next day, Peter, the, the missionary, took it out to run some errands. He needed to get his fireplace fixed, and he needs all kinds of things fixed. And I was trying to help him out there. I said, here, go down here, go find out how much the glass paint is going to cost. I'll pay for it, and all the rest of that stuff. And he goes driving out into town, and his car catches fire and blows up. I have it on my Facebook page. You can see it. All kinds of trouble. We lose things. Why would God put a great treasure in me? Have me carry a treasure that is far greater than this whole universe. He gives it to me. He tells me to bear it, to carry it. He trusts me with it. He tells me to go out and to show other people this treasure. I don't do a good job of it. You probably agree with me that you don't do a good job with it. It's not easy to treasure. But you know, if you're not enjoying the treasure, how can you bear it and show it to other people? And that's the whole point of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. How can you spread it around if you're not enjoying it yourself? You say that come to Jesus Christ, He can change your life. And the man that you're talking to looks at you and says, well, He hasn't changed your life. Where's this power that you're talking about? If we're going to have a great ministry, then we need to be enjoying the treasure that God has given to us. I wish I had more time, but I don't. We're going to close in a word of prayer and ask God to bless his word. Our God and Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are thankful for your word. Father, it contains treasure that is so, so valuable And we humans are so weak and so boring, we don't know how to enjoy such a great, great treasure. So, Father, we pray that you would give us a fresh, fresh glimpse of the glories of the treasures of Christ and the treasures of the Word of God and the treasure of the Gospel that we might learn to enjoy these things more and more and more, and so that our lives would be so overflowing with the gospel message and with the word of God and with the Lord Jesus Christ that others would naturally see the fruit that it produces in our lives. Father, we are asking that you would do these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because 
we don't have the capability of doing it ourselves. And so we ask that you would bless your word this morning and guide this assembly. In Jesus' name, amen.